When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hurrah! Hurrah! I'm starting with a... Uh, hello! Uh, hello! Hello! Start with a bang. Hello! Hello, Hal! This, sorry, I, no, we've got to restart again because I just went oh. hello, as hello. in the school I should have gone yes. to. Um, no, I, um, uh, yes. <laughs> no, I didn't go... No, look, look, I'm not saying I should have gone to Harrow. I just, I might have been a better person. Should, I bad. should definitely have gone in there. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, hello, Dan. Welcome to Rugby Jubbly, episode nine, hello, I Hal. think. That's um, it, episode nine, the big one. Yes. <laughs> How are you surviving? The big one being because there was no rugby this weekend. Uh, yeah, all good. Lockdown's wonderful. I'm yes. thoroughly enjoying myself. Brilliant. There's plenty of rugby to watch on YouTube. There's just nothing to watch on the television. Exactly. Um, sorry, when you said there was no rugby, you could actually have tuned in to watch Ealing Trailfinders versus Saracens. Anyway, it, the thing that upset me is... Um, I was. This game shouldn't have been. No one would have noticed this game if other rugby had been going on. But of course, well, other rugby it. was yeah, going on. Hidden it. Yeah, other rugby was going mm. on. So that everybody celebrated throughout rugby. That oh, isn't it great that Saracens well, lost the game? We must say why they celebrated the fact that Saracens lost to Saracens Ealing Trailfinders. Yeah, and it, and Ealing exactly. But it, but it was not. Nobody was panicking. It seems. To be. I mean, why are um, they called Ealing Trailfinders? Because Trailfinders, the company who they sponsor Ealing. Oh. And big game for me actually. This was the these were the sort of games I really wanted to see because I grew up in Ealing. I grew up a walk oh, from yeah. that Ealing ground that they're now. So at. why don't you support Ealing? Because they weren't really a big team when I was a kid, and also mm. I, was, I wasn't even supporting Saris when I was a kid. I was a London Welsh fan um, because oh, I used to play yeah. at London changed, Welsh. You've 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 changed your allegiance. I'm like, a complete. I'm just a more complete. More than you changed your trousers. Glor- yeah, it's a glory hunter, really. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, I no, support no, Man United now. Yeah, but the thing is, what is wrong with support? I now live in North London. I don't live in West London anymore. And do you know what? Mm. I've, I don't know if I've told you this before. It is weird. I have, there is no part of me that wants to support Ealing. It's like I've, it's like I'm one of those people that's completely, no, right, complete, I've completely become a North Londoner. I've actually embraced it's it. It's a feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a the, feeling. It's that you realise that. Where are you from originally, Dan? I've forgotten. I'm from Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel There's no team in Wimbledon? Do, but do you feel now? Do you have how long have you been out of Wimbledon? Oh, long time, a long time, all my adult life. Are you, have lived, you been North I've lived, London? I've lived in every part of London. I've lived in like east, west, north. Um, so I've settled here now. It does feel a bit weird living North London if you're from South London, but it, I'm gradually coming round to it. So Ealing Trailfinders versus Saracens. Ealing. But I thought this would be close. Well, I didn't think this would be close. There was also a little part of me that was hoping 
um, that basically, because everybody, oh, the championship, the gulf is just massive. And so I started watching this game going, oh, they know how to maul. Oh, they know how to line out. Oh, they can kick. Oh, look at that. Oh, they, they do Ooh, up and good. unders too Ooh, in the championship. Right. They know how to play. Oh, they tackle. They tackle just like we do. Um, but they, was were, they it, were excellent. Was it at Ealing? How? It was at, at Ealing. Ealing, yeah. And, and it what, was, it, what does Ealing's ground look like? It's not bad. You could play premiership games there. I'm trying to think yeah. about the team's... Because it's got stands, it's it's got it's got stands, but none of them are very big. Right. Okay. So, do you think they'd be able to manage if they if they came up into the Premier League? Yeah, totally. I don't know. I've never seen them play. I don't think. No, it's, I, but I, you say they're good. Not a very nice strip. Not a very nice strip, though. Uh, <laughs> green and white hoops. I wasn't a fan of the strip. Uh, yeah, but no, very, very good, very uh, capable. Uh, you know, there's a sort of mixture of journeyman old players who played for other... Right. You know, have played really you know, well around the world. They've got, I think they've got a couple of South Africans and some newbies coming through. I think in the end, I'm trying to put a gloss on this because Saris didn't play very well. I think it's it's sort of quite good for Saracens. It keeps them quite competitive. That that the championship isn't a joke, obviously. So they won, They lost the game. Was it a tight game? Was it a good game? Saracens looked good. The score good, was tight because or... it was twenty seven twenty six. But oh, that's as tight as you can get. It was tight, but it was one of those games where Saris scored an injury time. Oh, okay, to make them to flatter themselves. So they were actually eight points behind. I think. Right. Okay. Um, so it was a flattering scoreline, essentially. No, not really. I didn't think it was no, flattering. I think flattering. it was one team no, where you thought, no. oh, they're dominating. Nobody was dominating. It wasn't flattering. No, no we will. Okay. I think it's a good kick up the bum for Saris. And they'll come yes. back and destroy them. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got to get going on to uh, our next, <laughs> sorry, our next item. Now, I'm really pleased about this because um, everyone talks about the game. Well, because there's no Premier Rugby uh, this week. Um, we decided to go back into the archives and how suggested we watch the Barbarians versus New Zealand game 1973, which is a game that everyone says you've got to see because it's one of the best games ever. Mm. And when people say that to you, you sort of go, yes, okay, all right. But mm-hmm. I watched it over the weekend and it really is one of the best games ever. <laughs> that, was, that was exactly my attitude. I totally wanted to rip it apart. I totally yes. wanted to go because I you, saw it. Had you seen it before, Hal? Yes. I remember I've watched the whole game before on YouTube a few years ago. So I've seen yeah. it a few times. And um, and watching it again, I thought, no, let's look at this again. That's, ex- that's it. Yeah, exactly. I, not only did I love it, I also want all of rugby to go back to being amateur again. So do I. I was just saying, it. This, I mean, this, like that, that back line... That barbarian's mm. backline. I've got them all written down here. Ed Gareth Edwards, Phil Bennett, John Bevan, Mike Gibson, John Dawes, David Duckham, who's brilliant to watch. He was brilliant. Brilliant. And what's 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 so great about um the game back then, I don't know if it's representative right across the board, but certainly this game, the amount of space they had to run in. And everybody, everyone in that backline could do those enormous steps. You know where they swerve yeah. and st- and you just can't do that now. Like there's just there's just no space to do it. And I remember being when I was in the when I was a, on the rugby pitch, you know, in the eighties or whatever, mm. being a kid. Those are the things you always practiced: mm. running up to someone and then going. And I could never do it. I was I was cack-handed and uncoordinated. Well, but I noticed. I know it wasn't maybe fast I'll- enough. I might have been watching the Barbarians too much rather than the, watching the New Zealand centres, but I think New Zealand centres it's the same. There wasn't, there weren't big bruises at centre. 
Mm. We have Mike Gibson and John Dawes. Can I just again mention, I mentioned him in the first po- podcast, John Dawes was the man that said I had the best pass in any 13-year-old I've ever seen. Thank you very much. Thought, I thought yes, it was John you. Dawes. He didn't say anything else I thought about John Dawes was English as well. He led. He's he's famous Welshman. He used to play for London Welsh, and then I don't know when he was. If he was still played for London Welsh seventy three. I think he was. He. Um, this is it. And 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 we this so we have it. two silky runners. Weirdly, for that barbarian side, because uh, I've been looking More up some that. back some 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 other thing. John Bevan wasn't meant to play. It was meant to be Gerald yes, Davis. Who would be was, even more severe? Who he pulled pulled up with an injury the day before? It actually means the two wingers the barbarians had were actually quite modern. They were big, tough guys that could run fast. Because Duckham, but was they could big. really run, man. They, they, I mean, they just the balance they had, and they were tall men. They had yeah. such balance, an incredible step of both feet. Exactly. Just, uh, but that whole backline, Phil Bennett, and that that incredible um, that incredible try they always show on the BBC, like. Before every game, yeah, that's like four minutes in. Oh, I that's know. four minutes into the game. I think it just sets the tone for the for the rest of the game because you just go, well, well they're just like, right, okay, well that worked. Let's yeah. do more well, of that. I think the first try and weirdly the last try is brilliant. JPR Williams try, or is I didn't yeah. really become JPR at that point. Had he? he was still called well, John was Williams. J- it was John Williams. JP, JPR Williams. Is that because there was a, there was a JJ Williams as well, wasn't there? Oh, in the Welsh that's line. why they became JPR. That's why I think I think it was JJ Williams and JPR Williams. That's why they yeah. That's why it became JPR. JPR Williams has such an aura about him though, and I still remember. Sorry, I know I keep going back to my youth and name dropping. <laughs> I was at London Welsh. I was about nine, ten years old, and because obviously he was at London Welsh for a while, and then he went back to Bridge End. Um, JPR Williams and. I remember a group that we were playing mini rugby. So we were little kids and somebody went, JPR's in the bar. And we literally ran into the bar of the club and stood around him while he talked to someone. <laughs> literally stood looking at him. <laughs> going, it's JPR, it's JPR. There was an aura. That man had such an aura about him. He, he never shirks. He never shirks. He That's just, what the commentator says. He never shirks that man. He never shirks a tackle, a high ball, never shirks. The really standout moment for me is when Derek Quinnell takes it at his bootstraps. Yeah. Like he takes the path down and then he's up and then he lobs it over the top. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And without that, the whole the whole move would have fallen apart. It, it, man. And then, he, and then Gareth steams it into the corner. But it's just, it's brilliant. But that back row, that back row, that, um, that Barbarian's back row were, Brilliant. That well, Fergus Jim, Slattery Fergus and Slattery. Dave, Tom Dave, they would walk into any international side today, yeah. I reckon. Well, the weird thing is, lots of people were met, were there who weren't meant to be there. Do you know Bill McLaren was meant to be doing the commentary, but it was Cliff Morgan. Oh, really? Cliff Morgan stepped in for Bill McLaren. Bill McLaren had flu or something. I think he had oh, flu right, or something like that. Um, yeah. And that's and actually, Cliff Morgan does a brilliant job. I love the way it, that commentary towards the Gareth Edwards try is brilliant. It's like every name, Bennett, da, da, yeah, da, yeah. what a score. Um, but Tom David wasn't meant to play. I think he found out that morning he was playing and he had a really good game. And he was another, un, they basically had two uncapped players because he had still not been capped for Wales. He was capped really? only a few times for Wales. Um you don't you won't oh, remember no. a player called Terry Cobner, do you, Dan? No. Oh, John does. Shaky. <laughs> Sorry. We should get John, our producer, on the podcast as a guest. Yes. We don't have enough yeah. Welsh people. Um, but, uh, because Terry Cobner apparently took, made, was the reason Tom David didn't get so many caps. But he did end up 
going on the 74 tour to South Africa. But I just, it was only because I thought he what, only Tom found David out. Tom David did. Yeah, Tom David, I think, only found out he was playing that morning wow. and had a really good game. He yeah. was a big part of, Gareth Edwards tried. He was great, man. He was involved in everything. We must give a shout out to the New Zealand side as well in this game because the reason why the game was so good is because New Zealand was so good as well. Um, and it just raised the game. But let's have a little chat about the hacker. <laughs> that, Please watch that, it, everybody. Because <laughs> that's a thing of beauty. It's just a terrible it's... mess. And it's the, the most unthreatening challenge ever laid down by a New Zealand side. <laughs> it, it just looks like... A, Everyone trying to follow a children's entertainer like or yeah. a Zoom class or something, it, a Zumba class. It's just, it's rubbish. <laughs> exactly. It's dad dancing, isn't it? it that, it's yeah. completely. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it just looks, and actually, if you think about it, the big leap in the air at the end was really camp. Yeah. Now they just I go. Know. <clears throat> it, just, it looked like Morris think, dancing, <clears throat> didn't it? Yeah. It looked more like Morris dancing than that theatrical thing they do now. But, but we're um, still impressed by it. In the 70s, we still used to watch that rubbish and go, oh, it's the hacker, it's part of their oh, it's culture. the challenge, they've laid down the challenge. But I don't think the camera I don't think the camera the challenge is, can you dance as badly as me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, look at my lack of coordination. I bet I'm really dangerous. Um, and all they're, oh, they're all doing different moves at different times. Yeah. It's just, well, like, the, the message is the we've been training so hard, we've not had time to rehearse this. Time to work this bit out. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. But the area, the one area of the game I think has improved vastly is the lineouts because that was just <laughs> shambles, Sorry. wasn't it? I mean, it was just like people just jumping in the air. Yeah, but I quite like the shambles. And there's no gap. There's no gap at all. They're just standing right there. There's zero there's gap. No, and it's just, it's a, just see if you can bash it down. That's how I. That's how I remember playing. Oh yeah, that was before lifting. Well, exactly. Wasn't it? That's why I was a scrum half, and it was that horror of the bashed back ball. You know, you just got things tipped. Yeah, back but that's to you. that's that's what was so it. interesting because, like Gareth, Gareth Edwards, the amount of unclean ball he had to take, and just like either whip it out really really quickly or box kick it. Like it it really. I mean, you. It's you know you watch someone like Ben Youngs now that every ball mm. is taken cleanly, every ball is just whipped out, structures there straight away. This was like picking up balls on the hoof, picking up balls from his feet, just balls over his head, and it, you know, real a different job back then. You know, yeah. it's, it's like um, survival. Exactly. I think I think the whole I think it's it could be the whole game could be much more of a mess just because of almost the amateur ethos we weren't mm. demand such cleanliness that wasn't far less you know there's there's far less um competition at the breakdown isn't it there? there's far less kind of bashing into yeah. them smashing each other there's much more kind of waiting for the other side to drop it and then you took over yeah, or, something. or they knock on or they yeah. i must admit i like the scrums the scrums you notice they just put it, <laughs> but, but it was almost they, it was they they come together about five yards out like that, and then it just goes, just flop yeah, into also, each other. And they'd then come together. The ref wouldn't do a whole, you know, pause, engage, all that sort of stuff. Mm, mm. Um, it was, it's, it's, it was like the attitude towards the scrum was: this is to get the game restarted, not yeah. can I destroy the other front row, get a penalty. Yeah. Now we've got so so much is on. Is on is pressure is on that front row to get some massive advantage, and admittedly, when I the think, scrums. I but I think sorry. that. Like nowadays, I think that's more about safety. Like back then, they were they were they were big, but they weren't the size that they are now. I mean, you, you can't have those 
those two sets of players that they are now just ramming into each other. We almost seem to live in a time where every scrum is a big issue. When it used to be just the scrums were a big issue when you were near each other's line and, oh, maybe they could push over here or whatever. Yeah. And also there was a competition, you know, the ball wasn't just fed in like it is now by the scrum half. It was, Mm. you know, Mm. there was about two or three penalties in this game for feeding to feed, you know, or foot yeah. up, you know, which you yeah, don't get up, anymore. Foot which, up early. Yeah, people actually no, did I used know. to hook, have to hook for the ball uh, because it wasn't being fed into the sort of second row's feet. Oh, can we quickly go to the high tackles, though? Oh, yes. I mean, the high tackle, I, none of them were penalised, were they? No, no. But, they, but a lot of them were sort of like just grabs around the neck or, exactly. you know, just, I don't know, like clotheslines. That, that, it was just accepted, wasn't it? You were going to get clunk around the head. Yeah, but it was also the contact was less hard is less hard than so many mm. high tackles now because people aren't going into tackles with the same force in the early seventies. Yeah. It didn't really matter that they got you around the neck by accident because you weren't really hurt by it. Yeah, Whereas now exactly. people really get a leading with their shoulder into someone's head. There are dangers in the game that they just weren't in the game in nineteen seventy three. The players were smaller. You know, they weren't running at each other with such ferocity. They weren't. There were less sort of two three man tackles one going high one going low yeah it, it just it was all much more on and it's hard not to be it was much, much more on the hoof you know it's and it's really hard not to be nostalgic about the game isn't it and look at that and go oh it was much better then it was a much and that because because that that was a much better game than a lot of games you see now and what i'm glad about is that it was realized in commentary at the time, they realised they were watching something really special. Oh, yeah. About 30 minutes in, they go, this is a yeah. great they game. Say, this is the greatest game I've ever seen. Can I say one more thing about the crowd, by the way? The crowd running on the field at the end. I miss. I never yeah. used to do it. I never used to do it. I love the crowd. I love the that look of panic. I mean, cricket, oh. cricketers used to do it more, didn't they? That look of panic of, we've got to get off or else we're going to get... Oh, you know, you imagine, get though, swamped. if you've been a player, you've been smashing yourself to bits for 80 minutes and yeah. then the crowd runs on. You'd be like, yes. oh, Christ, Little... one last hurdle to get over. Exactly. You know, and they'd be... get into but the if you'd won, room. you'd all be excited. But it was all be just like... You know, yeah, then... you would, but you wouldn't want to share it with the people from the crowd, surely. You just want to I, share I it must with admit, if I'm pitch. doing a comedy tour, I would not like to finish my show with the crowd rushing the stage. No, exactly. Getting on stage. People I've been horrible to. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's move on. Shout out to Bath Supporters Club. I think we have to shout out to the Bath Supporters Club for um, yes for 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 enjoying our interview with Lewis Moody, and it was a great interview. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And now it's time for another sensational interview. Who have we got this week, Hal? So, ladies and gentlemen, our guest this week has played 40, I think played 44 times for Scotland, 25 games as captain, started every test for the victorious British and Irish Lions in Australia in 1989. He led Scotland to a semi-final of the World Cup, their best performance ever in the competition, and he's the last man to lead Scotland to a Grand Slam when he famously marched his team out to beat the heavy favourites England at Murrayfield in 1990. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the Rugby Jubbly pod, I give you David Soul. <laughs> Thank you very much. <clears throat> That was a great intro, Hal. <laughs> That's the best introduction I've had this year. Oh, brilliant. Well, I was a little bit worried because I checked it on Wikipedia, OK? And I'm never sure Wikipedia gets things right. So I was always going, was it? Because actually, um, you, well, I thought you played more times for Scotland than 44, but everybody seemed to get, you know, you retired quite young, didn't you? Uh, I was a baby, yeah. Um, I, I think we, we didn't play as many internationals in those mm. days as well. I, I worked out, actually, if if we played the same number of internationals and I'd had the same sort of stretch of my seven-year career, I'd have played 77 times for Scotland as opposed to 44. So they, they right. cram a lot more games in. Obviously, there's five nations, there's six nations, so you've got one, in, one anyway uh, in that. And then World Cup exactly. groups have expanded and so on, autumn internationals. So there's a lot more matches nowadays yeah I, I was actually just thinking yeah. uh, I was thinking watching stuff going um, going in the five nations there used to always be a rest weekend for one team and now that t- that that weekend's called playing Italy isn't it but um, <laughs> not, not, uh, not for Scotland I mean I don't want obviously I know the main thing that you get asked about because this week I read the book The Grudge about the 1990 game against England um were you I mean it, I, I think from reading that book and also looking back on it, um, you realise quite how massive that game was. Did you take in how big it was at the time, or was would that have been impossible to play it if you had taken all in? How how you know the Scot- Scottish public it became such a massive thing that game? Yeah, or, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't believe all you read in the in the Grudge. You know, I think it was sort of slightly <laughs> hyped up to be a you know a massive political statement against a Thatcherite government, which, frankly, if you pardon the expression, is a load of bollocks. Um, it was just another <laughs> game of rugby, uh, uh, and I think. You know, what we had done in, in that, you know, back to that point about rest weekends, we hadn't played the first weekend. So we'd had um, kind of a two week break between all of our matches. And we'd had to follow England, who, you know, undoubtedly had played some absolutely brilliant rugby and uh, demolishing Wales and France and Ireland. Uh, and we had to play all of those countries on the kind of the banks, you know, with a them sort of wanting to sort of set the record straight. And we kind of scraped through uh, most of the games. Um, we, we beat France because one of the guys got sent off. Uh, so that was probably the most comfortable victory. But it was only until we'd um, beaten Wales that we suddenly thought, oh, well, you know, we're, we're playing for a Grand Slam in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, that's quite exciting. And, and you know, everybody had been talking since, uh, since 
you know, England had played their final of the three matches about how they were going to come up to Murrayfield and, um, you know, beat us comfortably, which, which quite frankly pissed us off a bit. And it was nothing to do with the players. It was all the press and the media, as mm. the English media uh, tends to do, hypes up things and completely disregarded the fact that we were playing for exactly the same thing. Mm. Uh, and so we decided to keep a very low profile, play it down, um, and then sort of you know, see whether we could uh, ambush them a little bit uh, when they when they turned up at Murrayfield. And we were lucky enough that you know the rugby gods were smiling upon us, and we we managed to sneak a victory. Guys, <laughs> do you think England? Um, do you think England underestimated you, David? Do you think they bought into all the media hype and all the things that are being said about them? You know, regardless of the fact whether or not they wanted to buy into that, mm. it just seeped into them and affected them on the day. Yeah, but you managed I, to block it out. I, th- I think there is. It's it's hard not to disregard what's being said about you as a team in the media. And and let's let's be quite honest. You know, nine times out of ten, they'd have beaten us um, because they you know they had played some unbelievable rugby uh, in getting to the point to to sort of playing for that Grand Slam. So they were a, a great. You know, a, a really terrific team and obviously got to the World Cup final the following year, uh, you know, and, and sort of three Grand Slams in quick succession. So, you know, they were a really good side. I mean, I think we we, we had a lot of respect for the players because there was a large uh, cadre of um, Scots and English on the Lions tour the previous year. Uh, this this might shock some of your listeners, but actually <laughs> Scotland and England made up the largest contingency of that Lions tour. Yeah. Uh, I think there were nine Scots um, and might have been thirteen or fourteen English on that on that particular trip. And that was a tough trip. You know, we'd we'd had a, a few highs and, and lows on that trip, and so we got to know those guys really well. Uh, there was a huge amount of mutual respect and, and a huge amount of, you know, really strong friendships that were formed on that tour. Uh, and so we knew that, you know, we we had to play really, really well. And, and if there was anything we could do to sort of, as I say, ambush them a little bit uh, along the way, then we'd, we'd, we'd try and do that. Um, but, it, you know, whether they got sort of taken away uh, or, or sort of carried away with the, the fact that it was going to be a finality, I think that pro- probably the guys who had been on the tour knew us pretty well and knew that when the backs our backs were against the wall, we were going to come out fighting. Um, but I guess playing playing for the Lions, you know, as you say, it was of a large contingent of Scottish players and a large contingent of English players. You must have thought you were able to compete with them, you, you know, because it's, it's a hard side to get into the Lions side. And if you were matching them oh. in, in that environment, you must have thought that we can we could probably do this. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you've always got to go out uh, believing you're going to go going to win, haven't you? You don't sort of turn up thinking, "Oh God, you know, this is <laughs> it's going to be yeah. a we're going to get a pasting here." Um, Unless you're Italy, well, <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> except when they play Scotland. Um, yeah. So you know, I think you know we, we always have to believe, and, and certainly at Murrayfield, it was very much uh, more of a fortress at that time. You know, the, mm. playing in front of your own your own crowd, and, and you know. The thing that we did at the start of the game, walking out, really galvanised the crowd. It was the most extraordinary atmosphere, um, which yeah. sustained. I mean, normally in an international match, you get a really sort of um, sense of excitement and noise in the first 10 minutes. And then sort of as the game evolves, it sort of calms down and you get sort of crescendos. But, you know, this was a crescendo that lasted for 80 minutes and it was quite extraordinary. And, and it was, you know, they were all shouting for us, which was fantastic. Wow. And I think, you know, back to your 
question. The, the enormity of it really has only dawned since that that happened, you know, and you hear all the stories of what happened that day, you know, in Jenner's, the most um, kind of austere and, and sort of well-respected department store at Edinburgh, when they said, you know, that, mm. that, that Scotland have beaten all these sort of blue-rinsed ladies from Morningside, <laughs> oh, hurrah, you know, and there's a big cheer went up. And, you know, as all these sort of stories uh, are recounted to you, and, and lots of people have a story of where they were on the 17th of March, 1990, Scots and English. Uh, um, and, you know, you either get a slap pat on the back or you get vilified, depending on which nationality you're talking to. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of defining moments in sport, I think. In, in many Out of interest, Dan, do you remember where you were when this game was happening? I was, I was at school. I was watching the game at school. I, was, I, I remember Tony Stanger... Um, scoring that try in the corner, I'm just putting my head in my hands yeah. and and watching and watching the game, and and you just had a sense. You just thought, "This, dear, we're not going to do this today. <laughs> this is Scotland's day." Yeah, I I remember. I was an idiot. I was a bit. I was at uni. Uh, I was at university at York, and uh, when Gus got scored his try, I I was being a bit of a dick, okay, and I ran into the street and shouted, "Gus got scored!" and ran back. I was just anyway. I look back with horror at it, but it was the beginning. It was the beginning of. I, I think it's there's a sort of scar on English rugby that started with that 1990 game and went on. It was also I was looking at these results: 99, 2000, 2001. There was a time when when England got very good, and this was the first time England had got very good in my lifetime because I I, I remembered the 1980 Grand Slam, but the 80s were kind of rubbish. And my dad and I used to sit at Twickenham mm. and and he used to get sort of all sarcastic and oh they're absolutely terrible. Um and uh, and this was the beginning of England getting good and then nearly winning a Grand Slam and playing very open rugby and then crashing against a team like Scotland. I think it, the 99, 2000, 2001, it was either Ireland or Scotland or Wales, would beat them in the last game. It yeah. seemed to always beat the, the last game. Yeah, it was a real, real they, shame, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I, I wonder if it's helped cement over the years. I mean, it's happened in 2017, it happened as well, wasn't it? Last game was Ireland. And they, and they, but but it's helped cement that scare, that English, that cautious English rugby. Because remember, they've played the throwing it about lovely stuff. They always seem to have crashed and burned badly, having destroyed other teams' grass. This is this ridiculous theory that might be rubbish, but I feel 1990 was the start it's, of it. Well, it's, it, it's, it's yeah, not, not only England who liked to, play, liked to play flashy rugby. There was one time we, we, we came down to Tuckenham in 1987 and um, <clears throat> we were playing for the Triple Crown. Um, mm. Uh, and, and actually, that year the, the Calcutta Cup match had been postponed. Uh, and if you remember, the, there was a, a bit of a punch up in Cardiff, and Richard oh, Hill yes. and Gareth Chilcott and Wade Dooley got mm. kicked out of the team. And, and so we, you know, we were coming down hoping to to pick up a triple crown and Calcutta Cup and that sort of stuff. We'd been beaten by France. Um, so, so in many respects, we were odds-on favourite. And, and in those days, you know, we we played a very, very fast game of rugby. So we had five number eights in the pack. It was sort of uh, Ian Paxton and Derek White in the second row, and then J uh, John Jeffrey, Finlay Calder, and Johnny Beatty in the back row. Mm. And we had four wingers in the three quarters. So Keith Robertson and Roger Baird, I think it was, were in the centres, and Matt Duncan and Ivy Tuglow on the wing. Something like that, you know. So we were gonna yeah. we were gonna play a really fast running game. And we opened the door, uh, opened the windows on Saturday morning, and it was torrential, <laughs> absolutely bloody torrential. Uh, and 
<clears throat> you know, it was just one of those days where we, we'd come with a plan A and no plan B. And if you remember, that, that was in the era when you played with a leather ball. So this, if, if mm. the slightest bit of sweat got on the ball, it turned into a bar of soap. You know, this was a torrential monsoon, you know. And, and so and we, as I say, we, we turned up uh, hoping to win this Triple Crown, favourites to win the Triple Crown, and it was an unmitigated disaster. And we were driving out of the the, uh, the ground to the into central London for the event in, in the evening, and there were three very bedraggled Scots in kilts, absolutely drukkit, you know, which are you know soaked <laughs> to the core, drukkit. <clears throat> and the first guy, you know, looked up and saw the Scottish team uh, coming out, and he sort of waved forlornly at us. The second guy. Looked at looked at the bus, saw the Scottish team, put his head down and shook it in dismay. <laughs> and the third guy looked up at it, saw the Scottish team, and did that, which was a rather <laughs> rude hand gesture. And that kind of pretty much summed up the, our afternoon and probably the way that we'd played. But yeah, I do realize that when we're talk, sorry, talk, just talking about these times though of um, you know England Scotland being such a big game and 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 then being the best two teams and the fact that it, yeah there hasn't been a great that you won the. The Five Nations in ninety nine was it the last Five Nations? 99? We 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 are the reigning Five Nations champions. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but 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 what do you think is the reason that Scottish rugby isn't? What is is it just professionalism's just destroyed it in terms of the big countries have become yeah, well, or the I, more, I, more impassioned countries. Yeah, I, th- I think you know. Um, we have to appreciate that. I, I, I was very lucky to, to play in an era which was probably one of, if not the most successful era of Scottish rugby. Um, you know, we, we won a Grand Slam in 1984, which was when a lot of the guys started appearing on the scene. We shared the championship in 1986. Um, we had a terrific group of guys going on the lines in 89. We won the Grand Slam in 91, uh, 90, uh, semi-final in 91. You know, so it was from mm. a success perspective, it was a pretty terrific period and you know Scotland have only ever won three grand slams and and for two to come within a six-year period was quite unprecedented in many Mm. respects and I think a lot of it was good fortune we had just some fabulous players coming together um, into a team we also benefited from some brilliant coaches you know in Ian McGeech and Jim Telfer Derek Mm. Grant you know who who have proved their worth, you know, going on from there. So when you when you when all of that sort of comes together, you feel that the kind of the moons and stars align, and and it, it could be a pretty unique period. So I think in some respects, uh, the expectations have been quite high, and so when you come down off it, it's a bit of a disappointment. I think professional rugby in Scotland has been tough. You know, we don't have as many players as other countries, and therefore. Um, you know, it's always going to be hard when you're playing against the likes of England, France, or the big nations, South Africa, New Zealand, and so on, who have, you know, far more players to choose from. Um, you know, we've only got two professional teams in Scotland. Whereas, can, can I just can I just point out? I believe that makes it more difficult for the big teams because there's too much choice. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, my, that's, that's my argument against every Scotsman, Irishman, Welshman who tells yeah. me. Yeah, anyway, sorry, but yeah, on. yeah. You, well, you well you're, you're wrong, Hal. But you know, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think I think what we are seeing now in Scotland is is a 
you know, we, we do have some genuinely world-class players, I think. Finn Russell, I think, is an mm-hmm. outstanding player and he's proving it on the on the stage in Europe playing for, for Racing 92. I think Stuart Hogg, uh, Johnny Gray down at Exeter, you know, doing terrifically well. So we, we've got a number of really great players coming through um, and, you know, a lot of good young players coming through, but we, we don't have that depth. Uh, and we need to have those really great players in, in key positions and and being consistent and that is one of the things which I find most frustrating about Scottish rugby is, yeah. is our inconsistency yeah. um, because we can you know push New Zealand and push other teams and beat other teams on, on our day but we don't do it as consistently as, as other teams do and that's that's where you know you start winning Six Nations Championships or you start you know getting through to you know semi-finals of World Cups. What's the uh, what, what's the what's the secret of consistency then, David? What I mean, how where how does how do you instill that into a team? Well, I think I think part of it is is about belief. Um, it's you know I've always said that you know what happens from the top two inches of your body are the most important uh, <clears throat> two inches of your body in in terms of winning matches and you know when you're up against difficult situations being able to change tactics on the hoof and not rely on coaches or, or tacticians to tell you what to do. And I think that's one of the fundamental differences between the professional and an amateur era. <clears throat> um, mm. But, but and, and I think, you know, that is uh, having that belief and mentality. And I think also, you know, you've got to get used to winning. You've got to know how to close out games. You've got to know how to, to win matches. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play uh, at Bath in the sort of mid-80s. And we won the John Player Cup as it was. That was the only competition, four years on the trot. And, yeah. and in that Bath side, we, we never thought anyone was going to beat us. Um, and largely they didn't. But, you know, you could be... Playing a game, it's a bit like, you know, Ferguson's Man United. You could still be a, a goal or two down. You know, we could be a few point, a number of points down with 10 minutes to go. But we still had that belief and confidence that we could turn it around. And, and you know, having that is phenomenal. It's a bit like your, your side, how Saracens, you know, they've got a phenomenal mm. uh, resilience and belief and ability to, to close out games, which, you know, perhaps they haven't played well or... Um, you know, they've been up against it for a lot of the time, but they can still turn it around and, and win those matches in, in the you know, tightest of situations. And that mental toughness, that resilience is, is absolutely central to it. And, you, you know, that comes from winning. We forget, when, when people tend to write off Scotland, you do forget that, that 2015, they were a bad refereeing decision, stopped them making it to the semi-final. They nearly beat Australia and yeah. went on to the final. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like, and I've always done that. I remember when we met um, in, in London, when we were, I, I, I was in, um, we were in the Grouch Show. We? Uh, uh, you thought, this sounds very metropolitan urban elite. <laughs> I was in the Grouch Show and I went, I think that's David Soul, but I'm not sure. And then you looked at me and then you came over. And I, was, I, I remember saying at that time going, you're going to beat us at Murrayfield. This, this is in 2018. I think you're going to beat us this year. Because you actually look at the Scottish team, and um, and they are they, they you're right they have quality all over the place actually, and mm-hmm. they will have a lot more lions probably this time. I'm I've I mean I have this argument with Dan. We we're talking about the 2023 World Cup, which is a little bit far away, but I do tip Scotland to put Ireland out. I just think Scotland are on that route, and I th- I think yeah. Ireland is well. Are, Ireland are will always peak at the wrong time. They they sort of peak between World Cups. But a question I was going to ask you, David: Would you have liked to have played professional rugby? Or were you 
did you enjoy playing in the amateur area where there was sort of more of a balance of life balance between doing your work and then enjoying your rugby? Yeah. I mean, professional rugby seems incredibly intense and injury ridden. Yeah. I, I, if I'm perfectly honest, I think I get a bit bored. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I need a bit of mental stimulation as well as physical stimulation. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, um, I mean, I, I love training. I loved the, you know, the, the fitness element to it. I loved the, you know, going to the gym and, and working out. And I was, you know, I was a good trainer. Um, but I think doing it for your living is just a little bit different to, um, you know, doing it for recreation, doing it for fun. And, and you know, it's hard to say because I have, you know, the most amazing uh, group of friends uh, that I've made through rugby. And I've had the most incredible experiences that the game has given me. Um, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, uh, you know, yeah. going on a Lions tour, which was just phenomenal um, with just an outstanding group of men was was fabulous. Uh, and then the following year, Scotland toured New Zealand and, and we had an outstanding tour of New Zealand. We, we, we were one of the, I think, only three teams have toured New Zealand undefeated in the provincial games and we're one of them. Um, and, and we should have wow. beaten New Zealand in the second test. And, and that experience was fabulous because Scots and Kiwis have a bit of an affinity mm. um, and, and spending six or seven weeks in that country was just phenomenal. So, so I, I wouldn't want to trade what I experience with what they have now, in addition to the fact that yeah, most of it's going to be on social media at some point, and and I think certainly <laughs> some of the things that we got up to would probably be better left <laughs> off uh, social media. So tune in next week for the second part of our fantastic David Soul interview. Thank you, David. Thank you, David, indeed. And now we've got to move on to whether or not we think the Lions is actually going to happen or what the different options are. What would you like to see, Hal? Obviously, we'd all like to see the Lions tour South Africa next year and big crowds at the stadium and what have you. But, I mean, the chances are slim, aren't they? Well, I've been looking... I've actually subscribed to the sport on the Daily Telegraph because John, our producer, keeps sending us Daily Telegraph articles and actually they're really, really good. Yeah, there was almost like three different arguments. It was like Brian Moore, Mick Cleary and Ian McGeekin. Um, and the three arguments are, of course, that they go in 2022 because it's just it's not going to happen at the same time. They don't think it's possible. Even if we have a situation where we can have people in the grounds, they don't think South Africa will be at that stage. They think it's incredibly unlikely now that the Lions tour will happen when it's meant to happen. So do you go go to South Africa and play behind closed doors, uh, leave it till 2022, or do it all in the UK? So fly them over here if we're yeah. looking fairly clear and do it in front of mm. crowds, uh, do a sort of Twickenham, Murrayfield... No um, um uh, I nearly said Arms Park then because we were doing Barbarians New Zealand game um, Principality Stadium Principality well, yeah, Stadium yes um, and or the Aviva in Dublin so um, and I think you can mm. do you could I think that is the best option do it all in the UK yes it kills off the whole thing of a tour but we're in Covid times every other 2022 messes up everybody's preparation for the World Cup apparently because they've all got tours set up mm. and I also think England, if they have a lot of England players with the Lions, last time it utterly destroyed England for about a year after that. Till 2018 was when they had the disastrous Six Nations after that Lions tour to New Zealand. I think players get uh, overplaying. I think 
it is tough on the home unions if they do it then. Mm-hmm. I think to go to South Africa and play it behind closed doors just loses South Africa so much money, it's ridiculous. There's no way. It's just financially, exactly. Mm-hmm. And also the whole ethos of the Lions and the touring fans and what have you, it's just not, you just couldn't do that. Exactly. But I think there's a problem with the Lion, with uh, South Africa coming here because another part of the... Another part of the Lions is the fact that you are going to a hostile country and putting together a team, kind of a scratch team, whilst you're over there and seeing how you get on. I think that is well, that's that's a big part of the Lions. The thing is, though, about developing what happens, the team. What happens to the what happens to the sort of midweek side? Well, they're saying they know, can fly them over. Obviously, that is they can fly over sharks and no, but, all the oh god, South African teams. I guess they can. I guess. I guess. I guess South Africa is the one country that you mm. could do that with because of the time zone differences. But it, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, it, 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 you're right. I think there's just going to be a massive compromise, and if you want to get the games done then it, we're just going to have to do it in a way that we wouldn't normally. And, and I don't think 2022 is an option because of how how close it is to the to the World Cup. And so there's think, really overdramatic sort of childish stuff going, this will kill the Lions forever that they, if won't. they don't do this. And the Lions as a touring team going, no, it's a crisis period. The Lions yeah. are under pressure. Um all, because they're always it's hard pressure. to do in the professional era, but yeah. but people love them so much, don't they? They love. Exactly. I I love. I I think that the fact people love it's them brilliant. so much. Haven't they got a new sponsor involved and stuff? Um, Probably Vodafone or something. I don't know. I was reading somewhere. Um, I never pay attention to the financial boring stuff. But I, <laughs> it is. We will never lose. Certainly, as an Englishman, I will never lose that desire to be on the same team as Irishmen, yeah. Welshmen, Scotsmen, just for once, to just not have to take their it's hatred. A, it's it's, it's, and such a, it's their such songs. a brilliant thing. Do you think they probably, do you think they will bring the, the, the South Africans over here? Do you think they'll, that'll I think happen? that's by far the best option. They're deciding sort of now, aren't they? There's been sort of discussion. Do you think South Africa will want to do that? Yeah, well, do you know sure, what? I'm sure South, they South would, African I'm rugby sure financially they're... is in desperate straits. Yes, and I they know, need that's why this they would... tour to happen. Do you know if it happens in the UK, it earns something? It earns them about fifty percent more than it would happen in South Africa. Mm. They can charge. They'd actually more make money by doing it here. Oh well, I'm sure they'll do it then. Obviously, it would kill off the whole ethos of of the fun of being of going to South Africa and the fun of another country. But needs must. I think. Yeah, needs must. Let's pick a lion's back row. Ah. Oh. This is what I was excited about. And let's pick a lion's back row. If the tour was going to happen, it it would be. Do you know what? I just. It's you could pick about fifteen players for the back row. I think. Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Every home nations team has some really good back row players. I mean, we're just going for the starting three, aren't we? Yeah. For starting, but bearing you've got to bear in mind you're playing South Africa, and they're huge. So I think you need a big, you need a big back row. I'd certainly have Curry in there. I think Curry is so definite a starter if fit. He is. He's absolutely nailed on Curry. He might be the best back rower in the world at the moment, Tom Curry. I think. Uh, so I think he's in. I mean, you could put a case for an all English back row, having him very much so. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sorry? going to. I knew you would. Sam Underhill (laughs) and either, well, Benny Vinopola. You know what the biggest threat, I think, almost to Billy Vinopola at number eight at the moment, and I still make this case, and he's not even in the England squad, is Nathan Hughes. Nathan Hughes. No, I've I've said that. I don't think, I don't think, I think, I think that might be a character issue. Oh, do you think so? You know what Eddie Jones is like? 
Yeah, he just looks like a so. monster on the field, Nathan Hughes, and I think he's but so he's never, good at the moment. He's never turned up for England. He's never he's never really stamped his authority on a game. Well, he's been okay. I just think I just think that experience he'll come back again. Do you know what I mean? I think often you get players getting one bite at it, they mess it up a bit, then they come back again. And I mm. think I think he's fantastic. I think I think Billy Vanopolis had a, he's I don't think he has had a dip in form. I think he's very solid. He's a bit less spectacular than he used to be because maybe I'm he's just being a little bit worried about the amount of arm breaks Billy Billy's had. It, he, it, he's not wearing his protectors in, either. He was he was playing Ealing must, with no protectors. Psychologically, it must have an impact on your game. No, I see. I'm loath to say. Do you know say, who I'd have at eight? Who? Falatau. Yeah, Falatau, you could. Have, I think Falatau's definitely have going Fal- he at is, all. He is a absolutely consistent every time he plays. You go, hmm. you know, he oh, never yeah, totally. ever lets you down. I think he's fantastic. But then you start going through the other players. Justin Tipperick is brilliant as a back row player. He could go. It could be yeah. him on the other flank with um, with Tom Curry. Um, you could. Jamie Ritchie I've always liked for Scotland. Hamish Watson, like Neil Back, little yeah. plucky little back row. I like him, Hamish Watson. And also, I, I also want to take a Scottish player called Blade Thompson because of his name. Blade. Yeah, um, you would want that. He tends to come on as a sub for Scotland. And I think he's a New Zealander, really. But he's absolutely brilliant. But then you've got... Omani. You know, you've got, exactly. How can you... CJ well, Stander. CJ Stander. Kaelin Doris. They, all, those yeah, are Doris. Three Doris looks like a really, players. really good player. Yeah. Yeah, again, yeah. and has overcome an incredibly unfortunate name. Who's in the back road? Doris. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's I probably think, why he's such a good player. My outrageous prediction, if the Lions tour happens, is we. I think we're going to beat them in the pack. I really think we're going to have an incredible pack. I think our we might have, have to go some some weaknesses. I just I just think we're going to beat them up a bit. Uh, I I'm very excited about this back row though. So who are we so we're making a final decision on who actually is Tom Curry definite? Is he um, he's going to be I, uh, I would, blindside? I would, yeah, I would like to say yeah, Tom Curry. I think. And you're I, going Falatau at number eight. I'm going to go Falatau at number eight. Yes, I don't think he's. I, I think he lacks ballast. I think he lack. I think he is the skillful player. I'd like to see him. Come on as a sub when the game's breaking up. God, I love talking like I know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it's the, honestly the game breaks up. Who would you like to see skill. at number eight then? I was uh, Billy Vanapola or Nathan Hughes. I'd go for he, Billy because of he, he's really? experienced. I'm going Falatau, uh, Curry, and Underhill. Don't you think Justin Tipperick is a great player? He should. He's a great player. He's a great he's player on the bench as well. It's lovely Omani. to have him on the bench. I'd love and to have CJ him on the bench. Stander, and CJ Stander and Falatau. Right. Yeah. But we... No, hold on. So if it's just... Oh, yeah. Curry, okay. Underhill, Falatau. Seven. Underhill, you want But we're Underhill. only saying Falatau. You're, just... You're only dropping Billy because... Tokenism. Yeah, so we can't do that. We have to go Curry, Underhill, Vinopola for Vinopola. rugby reasons. Anyway, we've got to wrap it up. We've yes. We've got to wrap it up. Oh, have we said, by the way, the very should we not briefly mention before we go mm-hmm. that there's all talk of the Premiership being ring fenced? It's almost deaf. I don't know if by the time this goes out, that will definitely be true. But my whole point well, yeah, last week, temporary, that I said temporary ring fencing. Yeah, temporary ring fencing this year or maybe two years. Apparently, they're looking at. But the RFU mm. could be against it. By the way, I read an article in the Guardian saying it. Um, there could be a problem with it because. Uh, 
you know, they they see it as as it'll be too cosy or something. So the whole Premiership should go for this. It doesn't. I know it's awful. I know people want to win it and players, but just play the games for the sheer enjoyment of the game. That's why Barbarians New Zealand in the end, it was important, but it was more important as a one-off game. Let's enjoy those one-off games rather than going, who's won the Premiership? Just a year when this is how rugby used to be enjoyed. I oh, know, but I, I, as a fan, as a fan, we can we can say that. But if you're a player and you're being asked to flog your body every week for no reason, I think that's a that's a bit of a tricky ask. Anyway, well played. So we've got to find games to watch for next week as well. Oh no, we might have some games back, mightn't we? No, we won't have any Premiership games. No, we'll have. I tell you what, Saracens are going to Doncaster Knights, so I'll be, I'll be, give, I'll be paying well, my I nine might pounds. Pay quid to watch that. Yes, <laughs> well, what, we could. We should watch Saracens Doncaster Knights. I can't. There's something doesn't Maybe. go with Doncaster and Knights. I don't think of Knights and Doncaster, no. do you? No, I don't. I don't. Sir Tom Donkeys. from Don- Doncaster. Don- Don- Doncaster Donkeys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that, I don't know how good Doncaster Knights are, but they are Doncaster, supposedly Doncaster. quite a decent team. Um, so All right, well, that'll we'll be find interesting out to next watch. week. Yes. And Maybe I'll I pay think we my should find another, old, find another old game to watch. Oh, there's plenty. There's plenty. Maybe watch an old Lions game. Oh, that might be nice. Yeah. 1989 anyway. Lions. Oh, gosh, Yes. That, that was the one. Was that the one where the drop goal? Jeremy Guscott won the won the series, didn't it? No spoilers. No oh, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> Brilliant. So yes, we'll we'll try and decide on that later in the week, or maybe people can send in suggestions. Yeah, maybe suggest a game we should see, and don't find find something that's possible for us to see. Not. You know, yeah, Mosley like against Coventry in 1972 <laughs> that wasn't well, televised. I would yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love saying Clinetley. 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 All Blacks, 1973 or 72, when they won. But actually, that's the mm. same era. I think something from another era. So brilliant. And uh, we'll have the second part. Well, we'll have the second part of David Soul as well next week. Yep. So yep. Uh, brilliant. I, I, it's very hard to finish, isn't it? So yeah, you just have to say week. thank you very much for listening and see you next week. Bye. Thanks, Dan, you are such a professional. Thank you. Bye. If you want to get in contact with us uh, about anything you've heard on the show or any suggestions or you just want to complain about Dan. Thank you. Our email is rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com. Our Twitter is at jubblyrugby. And our Instagram is at rugbyjubblypodcast. Drop us a line. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 